great to see y'all today. I was, uh, it is, it is, I am uh, more excited to be here than I'm sure you are. I'd missed last Sunday, um, decided to take a, a week off. Um, we, uh, I, I got this uh, wonderful little uh, bug called dengue fever. I highly recommend it. It's a great weight loss program. Um, it's also a great way to feel like, you know, that you wish you were dead. Uh, but what happened was I got bit by a mosquito, and uh, man, it's hard to believe a bug that big can absolutely wipe your tail out. And so it was a lot of fun. I had to go to an infectious disease doctor, which was a new experience for me. And so you know that there's something weird going on whenever the doctor, he's excited to see you. He said, man, I ain't seen this in a long time. And so I, I got in there, and uh, uh, he said that there's a lot of different things. Emily was great. Emily took care of me. Y'all, I'm the biggest weenie there is, and so I don't do good whenever I'm sick. And so I'm in the doctor's office, and he said, uh, I want you to take your shirt off. I want to check out this. You break out this awesome rash, um, which is, it looked like, it almost looked like I had a tan, except it was red. And uh, so I took off my shirt, and he was pushing on me, and uh, he wanted to see how every, the, the blanching went, or I don't know what it was. And so then he said, you can put your shirt back on. So I put my shirt back on. Now, this is how you know that, that you got something weird. About three minutes later, he comes back in, and he's got a crew of other people with him. Look at this freak. And so, uh, so he came over. He said, hey, would you take your shirt off again? And so I said, well, this is a common request. Uh, so anyway, so I, I took my shirt off again, and then the, the, the ladies, they were sitting there touching me, and I, there's, I said a few things that were funny, I thought. Um, my, Emily was crawling under the table. I told them, I said, whenever you touch me on the side, if you could, just kind of caress me just lightly. Uh, so anyway, so it was, uh, I, was, I, I, was in, uh, I was in some pain, but uh, anyway, I'm so glad to be alive. I was actually hoping I would die um, last week, but I did not, and so I'm, I'm glad to be here, but you know, today is a, this is an unusual day. I mean, it's a, we're, we're in the midst of a, the REACH campaign. I was frustrated I missed last week because it was, I, you know, I saw it as being like a, this, it's an important Sunday as we are, as we are moving forward in, in this capital campaign program. And uh, as many of you already know that what, what we're trying to do is this is a campaign program from April to April. Our gifts and offerings above our, our it's a giving towards uh, our capital campaign above our regular tithes and offerings. And there's three basic reasons why we're going through it. And we'll watch a little video at the end to kind of help explain this a little bit. One is in the last four and a half years we built two buildings. And so we, are, we really do. We need to have a, a, a process of beginning some debt retirement. Uh, the second thing is that next door we have our student center. And we have a lot of kids that are over there, uh, youth and also children. And we want to create more flexible space over there for them so that they can both use it and be more effective and then also have the opportunity to grow. And then the third one, the third reason why we're going through this campaign is we're beginning a new campus over, it's a third service, third worship service in a different location at Westwood High School. And so today, I, really, I do, I want to encourage you to come over to Westwood High School for lunch today. Uh, Matthew already told you, it's already been paid for. We want you to see the facility. It's a great opportunity for us to fellowship together. If you haven't made plans to come, come. Come today. And so right after the service is over, we'll head over to Westwood High School, and there's directions back there. It is a really cool a cool place, and there's going to be games for the kids and stuff like that over there. So I hope that you'll come to that. But anyway, uh, this, so, we're, so we're going through this campaign. And today, what I wanted to share with you is from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse number 6. And what we're going to see in this passage of Scripture is the Apostle Paul 
sharing with us some great lessons to know about giving. Now, I know that when people come into the church, or some people say, every time I come to church, preachers talking about giving. You hadn't been here in a year then, because I hadn't talked about it in about a year. And so, uh, so I don't want you to be nervous about it. I don't want you to think today is about guilt-tripping you. Um, I will save that for my wife. Uh, but it's not about guilt-tripping you. My, my goal today is not to try to make you feel bad. My goal today is for you to look into Scripture with me and to see that the Bible says that there is joy and that there's blessing that comes when we share, when we share what God's given us. Now, the context of our Scripture, what's going on here, is that there was a church in Corinth, which is in modern-day Greece, and they felt led by God to give to a ministry in Jerusalem. And it was a church in Jerusalem that was undergoing persecution. They were struggling financially. And so this group of believers came together and said, we are going to work together to further the work of the kingdom of God. That was great. They made a great promise. The problem is that they never gave. They made a promise and they just didn't do anything. And so Paul wrote them this letter, this passage, to encourage them, to remind them of what they had promised to do. And then he said, but I want to share with you some really important lessons that come with giving. And guys, I, I really believe this. I believe one of the great joys in life, and I'm not just saying this because I'm a preacher, but one of the great joys in life is to give. Jesus said in Acts 20, 35, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And it really, it really is. And so I just want to share with you three really brief lessons about giving that the Bible points out to us. And the first lesson about giving is this. You reap what you sow. Now, if you want to know about giving, it is important to understand this. You will reap what you sow. Verse number 6, very plain and easy to understand. It says, remember this, the person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And the person who sows generously will also reap generously. You know, I, I really believe this. I believe most people have a desire in life to do great things. We have a desire to be a generous people. We have a desire to make a difference in life. Uh, just as a, a little illustration of this, as I know that we're in the midst of the final four, if y'all watched the games last night, I, there's a bunch of, bunch of kids that go out in the driveway during this time of year, and they are shooting baskets nonstop. And I remember when I was a kid, I used to do the same thing. I'd go outside, but I'd always make it a game. I wasn't just out there practicing. I mean, I was out there living the dream. You know, I'd be sitting there shooting, and I was like, okay, there's three seconds left in the game. Y'all do these scenarios? Three seconds left, and, and uh, this is for the, we're down by one point. It's for the national championship. Y'all, I played basketball before there was a three-point shot. So, I mean, it's only two points. I only had to be down by one, uh, one point, or otherwise I was in trouble. So, you know, two-point shot, and you know, three, two, and I'd shoot, and I wasn't very good, so I'd, you know, I'd just lay up a brick, and then, you know, the, the clockwork becomes a little interesting at that point. Two and a half, you know, and I'm running over, and I, of course, then it's a layup for me. Not one time did I ever go through that scenario, and I was like, three, two, and I was looking to, to give off the game-winning assist. I mean, who does that? I mean, if, I, if anybody's going to win the game, baby, it's going to be me, you know, especially in my fantasy world. And so, I, three, two, one, I'm scoring the winning basket. Everybody wants to do something big. Everybody wants to win big. And I really believe this, that I really believe the same thing is true with the church. I believe that as, as a church, we have visions of doing great things. 
We have visions of reaching people. We have visions that, that we're going to make a difference and an impact in our community. That is a, a dream and a vision that I have. And yet as many of us dream about doing great things, so few of us ever see it realized. Why is that? And I, to me, I just simply go back to verse number 6, and it's this. It, you will reap what you sow. Now, if you reap generously, you're going to sow generously. I think what happens to a lot of us is we reap sparingly. Or we sow sparingly. Because we sow sparingly, then we reap sparingly. So what is it that you're, that you're sowing in life? If we have, we have a desire to make a difference, what, what, are, what is it that we are investing? What, what are we planning in life? You know, if, you, if you plant wheat, then you ought to expect a harvest of wheat, right? I mean, it'd be absolutely nuts. You say, I'm going to plant wheat. Man, I hope I get some oranges. I mean, it doesn't work that way. If you, if you plant 10 acres, you can re- expect to receive a harvest of 10 acres. And yet what I, I believe that so many times I do is I want to I plant like an acre and expect a 40-acre harvest. But it doesn't work that way. And that's what Paul was trying to, get a, uh, trying to get his point across to the Corinthian church. He said, you guys have visions of grandeur. You want to reach people, and you're, yet you're not willing to plant any seeds. And so because of that, you're not going to see God do anything through you. And so Paul reminded them that you reap what you sow. Want to do great things, but sometimes they're afraid to, they're afraid to, to sow. And yet Paul says, listen, he said, if you feel like you're under stress financially, if you feel like that you're under pressure, he said the best thing that you can do is to give. And that is the exact opposite of you know, the way I think. If I feel like I'm under pressure financially or if I feel like that I'm really struggling, I'm going to grab onto with both hands what I've got and I'm not going to let it go. I'm going to do whatever I can to protect it. I'm going to try to keep it to myself. And yet what I'm learning is that whenever I do that, I lose. There's a story I've shared with you all before. There's a lady named Sadie Seeker who was a house parent for missionaries, missionary children for a number of years in the Philippines. And one thing she loved to do is she loved to read. And she would love, she loved to loan out her books uh, to her friends and the little kids. But she didn't loan just any book out. She had her favorite books that she would not let anybody touch. And so she said, with those books, she said, I kept them in my footlocker underneath my bed. I didn't want anybody seeing those books. They were mine. So one night she was in bed, she heard this strange sound, and she said it was like a gnawing sound, and she was looking for it and realized it was coming from her footlocker under her bed where her books were. And so she grabbed her footlocker and she opened it up, and she said when she opened it up, she said all of her books were just simply a pile of dust. She said termites had gotten into her footlocker and had absolutely obliterated her books. Now she said, from that, I learned a very important lesson about giving. She said, what I learned is that that which I keep for myself, she said, I will lose. She said, but that which I am willing to share, she said, I am able to keep. Because we, we will reap what we sow. And this capital campaign that we're going through, it is about us planting seeds. That's, what it's, that's all it's about. It's just simply about us planting seeds so that we can look forward to a harvest. We we are planting seeds 
for young people. That's one of the things that we're doing today. So that we can see young people be transformed and changed by the message of Jesus. We, we are planting seeds in a, in a new area so that we can expand and extend the reach of Village Church and the message that we want to get out, which is that God can change lives. See, we're going to reap what we sow. You might say, man, I don't have a whole lot to, to, to sow. Here's what's really cool about God. God can take whatever it is that you have, whatever it is that you offer up to him, and he can expand it beyond anything you ever dreamed. Remember the story in the New Testament whenever Jesus was getting ready to feed this multitude, huge crowd of people, and the disciples are saying, we don't have any food, what are you going to give them? And this little boy comes to, to Jesus, or he comes to one of the disciples, and he has five loaves of bread and two fish. That's it. Thousands of people, probably over 20,000 people there, and he says, I got five loaves of bread and two fish. Well, thanks. What did Jesus do with it? He fed a multitude with it, and there was 12 baskets left over. Guys, whenever you give whatever you have to the Lord, God can expand it and use it beyond anything that you can even imagine. So Paul wanted to give a lesson about giving, and the first one is you reap what you sow. But here's a second lesson about giving I want you to see, and that is this. Giving is expected. Giving is expected. Look with me in verse 7. It says, Each person should do as he's decided in his heart, not out of regret or out of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, if you go to the very beginning of verse number 7, it says, Each person should do. Okay, Each person should do what? Each person should give. Now, Paul didn't say, okay, all you people who are, you know, who are kind of struggling, he goes, this is only for rich people. Only rich people are to give. Everybody else, y'all just take a break. What did he say? He said, each person is to give. Now, he wasn't expecting everybody to give the same thing. He was just expecting everybody to participate and to give. Now, you could say, man, I don't like that. I don't like anybody telling me what to do with my finances. If that's you, I get it. I am not here telling you what to do with your finances. I'm not telling you what to do. I just want to point out to you what Scripture says. This is for believers. Scripture lets us know that God expects his people to give. Now, why is that? Because when you become a follower of Jesus, you become a part of the family of God, right? Now, would we all agree with that? We become a part of God's family. Now, if you're a part of God's family, it is natural for a child to look like his father, right? I mean, if you're related to somebody, it's pretty, pretty normal and typical that you look like one of your parents. You know, well, what, is, what does Jesus look like? Well, Jesus looks like a generous man. So if you're a follower of Jesus, it means that you should take on the traits and characteristics of Jesus. We're told in Mark 10:45 about Jesus. It says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. When Jesus came here, Jesus did not come here looking to see what he could get out of you. Jesus came here to give. He came here to give. John 3:16 says that Jesus gave his life for us. John 3.16 says that God gave his only begotten son for you. A characteristic of God is that he is generous. 
And because he is generous, he expects his children to be generous. Why? It begins with gratitude for us. I mean, Jesus said in Matthew 10, 8, freely you have received, freely give. You understand that? If you're a follower of Jesus, freely you've received. What do we received? God's grace. God's forgiveness. God's promise of eternal life for us. A, a hope for a future for us. That's why the Bible tells us this. It says in verse number 7, it says when we give, we're not to give reluctantly. We're not to give out of necessity. The word reluctant means without sorrow. When we give, we're to give without sorrow. Like, oh man, I can't believe I'm doing this, but I'm going to give anyway. Now you might say if you're a business person, you can say, well, who cares how I give just as long as God gets his money. Guys, let me tell you something. God doesn't need your money or my money. It's already, it's already his anyway. What God desires, though, is that when we give, that we give freely. Have you ever received a gift from somebody that, that didn't want to give it to you? If you have a brother or sister, you know what this is like. I mean, gosh, you know what? This is always strange to me, and I've done the same thing. You remember whenever your parents, if you get in a fight with your brother or sister, and they'd make you apologize? Wasn't that a great apology? You know, I remember my sister, you know, she'd, she'd come in and go, I'm sorry. And then she'd walk off, and I was like, well, apology accepted. I mean, like it was heartfelt. That kind of an apology doesn't mean, you know, Jack Diddley, Right? When, when God asks us to give, he's not asking us to give reluctantly and with sorrow. He's like, I want you to mean it. I want you to give because you love me. I want you to give to me with joy. When, you know, when God, when God watches you and me, did you know that God is watching our motives to see the reasons behind what we do? Uh, Proverbs 16.2 says, All a man's ways seem innocent to him, but motives are weighed by the Lord. That's why Paul says God loves a cheerful giver. Y'all heard that before? God loves a cheerful giver? You know what the word cheerful means? It literally means this. It means hilarious. Isn't that weird? I, I have never seen the offering basket passed and just people dying laughing. Oh, God loves a cheerful giver. Now, what does that mean? It means that giving should be fun. Giving should be joyful. And that's one thing I'm learning. I'm learning that giving is joyful. Uh, one, in, in all honesty, one of the most generous people I know is my wife, Emily. Emily is so generous. When we got married, and I, I think I might have shared this before, when we got married, she wanted to do something. So when we have Christmas, when we're driving to see my parents' house, when we stop at a gas station or restaurant, why don't we share money? We'll give $100 to whoever's working where we are so we can kind of share Christmas with them. And so every year for, for years, that's what we do. And so uh, we'll, we'll stop somewhere, we'll get gas, and then we'll pay for it, and then we'll give somebody $100, and we'll run out of the store. And so we started involving our kids in it. And I, one of my favorite ones was whenever we first started doing it, Hank was a little, little boy, and we gave him a $100 bill, and so we were at a gas station, and filled up the gas, and then Hank walked up to the lady behind the register, and, and he handed her $100 and said, Merry Christmas, and he ran back to the car. And so we're sitting in the car, and I'm watching that lady, and that lady is jumping up and down. And it was so cool. And it was cool because I was watching, I was thinking, she was blessed. But you know what's even bigger blessing? I was more blessed than she was. Because I thought, isn't that neat to think that I can actually do something, we can do something that is a blessing to other people. See, I really believe God uses giving to keep us from being me-focused in this life. Guys, this life's not about you and it's not about me. It is about our God. 
Jesus said in Matthew 22, 37 through 40, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. It's the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Paul's teaching lessons about giving here. There's great things about giving. First, first lesson about giving is you reap what you sow. Second one is giving is expected. Now this one should make you feel better. The final lesson about giving, and that is this. God will supply you with the ability to give. God will supply you with the ability to give. If you look in verse number 8, it says, God is able to make every grace overflow to you so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work as it is written. He is scattered. He's given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now the one who provides seed for the sower and bread for food will provide and multiply your seed and increase the harvest of your righteousness as you are enriched in every way for all generosity which produces thanksgiving to God through us. Now, the great fear that so many of us have is that if I give, it will be less for me. But here's what I'm learning. It's when I give that God blesses beyond anything I can ever imagine. Do you know this? When God calls us to give, God will never call us to do something. He won't supply us with the ability to do. God will never call you to outgive Him because you can't outgive God. God shovels it in quicker than I can shovel it out. And I have learned that. My hope is that you'll learn it. You know, every year when we get our year-end giving statement, it, is, it really is interesting. We, I will look at that thing, and then I'll, I'll go to Emily, and I'll say, did you miss any of this? I mean, everything that we've given to the Lord, did you miss it? And some of you can attest to the same thing here. And every time we say this, absolutely not. I have never missed anything that I gave to God. You know why? Because God says, I will supply you with the ability to give when you are willing to give. God always comes through on that promise. But here's the deal. Before I will see a harvest in my giving... I first of all have to plant the seed. I first of all have to give. And it's then when I give that I can expect a harvest. Hey, think about a farmer. I mean, a farmer, before he has crops, what does he have to do? He has to take the seed that he has and stick it in the ground. He has to give it up. But when he does, he reaps a harvest. Village Church, our challenge today is to put the seed in the ground. This past uh, Tuesday night, we had our leadership team gathered together, and our leadership team wanted to lead the way in pledging for the campaign. If you've, if you've been paying attention to the campaign, you'll know that with the campaign, that our, our first goal is to, to so we said we $175,000 for this one year to go towards this capital campaign. That's our, that's our, our minimum goal, so we really need this. Our leadership team this past Wednesday pledged $143,000 of that. $143,000. They've led the way. They've set the standard. Now, for you, as God leads you, I'm not here to guilt trip you, but as God leads you, guys, we're $143,000. Let my, my encouragement for you is don't grab onto both hands with what you've got. Say, God, whatever it is that you want me to give, God, I'm going to trust you with it. 
And for this next year, we're going to plant seeds. And you may say, what kind of harvest are we going to receive if I plant seeds? Let me tell you something. Next door with our student center, plant seeds for those kids next door. There's going to be children. There's going to be young people who are going to come into a relationship with Jesus Christ because you planted seeds. It's going to change their lives forever. Jesus changes people's lives. So what happens if I plant seeds over at this new campus at Westwood High School? Let me tell you what will happen. There will be people who have never darkened the door of a church before who will go to that new campus who will meet Jesus. And their lives will be forever changed. Why? Because there were people like you who were willing to put some seed in the ground saying, God, we will trust you with the harvest. Back in 2001, I remember really sensing a call from God to begin a new work. I was pastoring a church over in Lexington, and at the time, I was just really excited about the vision that I really thought God had for our family. And so with not much thought process in it, I just went, resigned from our church, and we moved to Blythewood. Uh, after we came out here, it was then, after I made a decision, I started to get a little bit nervous. And the reason why is when we got to Blythewood, I began to wonder, how are we going to survive? Uh, number two, I began to realize, I don't know anyone who lives in Blythewood. And so at that time, after we already make a decision, I'm praying to God saying, God, help me know that I made the right decision. And so I said, Lord, if you just speak to me while I'm just reading my regular daily Bible readings, that would be great. Well, on that day that I prayed that prayer, I just happened to be reading through Matthew chapter 28. And as I came to verse number 10, the words on that page just, they jumped out at me and really spoke to my heart. Uh, let me share with you what it says in that verse. It says, Then Jesus told them, Don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. Now, the context of the verse is Jesus had just been crucified. Some ladies were coming to embalm the body of Jesus. But when they showed up at the tomb three days later, there was an angel that met them. And he said, they, the angel told them, said, he is not here, for he is risen, just as he said he would. Now, the ladies are, as you can imagine, they're terrified, but they begin to leave, and Jesus approaches them, the risen Savior. And he tells the disciples, tells the ladies to tell the disciples, they say, tell them to go to Galilee, and I'll meet them there. When I read those verses, it was just like God was telling me, you go to Blythewood, and I'm going to meet you there. And... What's interesting is God did. He really did. Let me share with you, in the last 12 years since we've started, we started with just a few people, a handful of people, to where 12 years later, there's over 800 people who gathered together, gathered together for worship every Sunday. Uh, in that 12 years, we've met in schools for seven of them, and then God provided property for us four and a half years ago. We built two buildings in that time, uh, we've almost tripled in our attendance in the last four and a half years. And God has expanded and helped bring about probably, or definitely to me, the strongest youth and children's program that I know of in our area. And I'm just so grateful for that. Now, it'd be easy to sit back and say, we've done enough. We've done a lot. Let's enjoy what we've done. But once again, I really am having this sense and a calling from God. It's time to get up and go to Galilee again. And I believe if we go to Galilee again, God is going to keep His promise and meet us there. Now, what does that mean for us to go to Galilee again? There's three things that we're doing. We're, we're starting a capital campaign in order to expand and be more effective in our ministry. First of all, because we've 
built two new buildings in the last four and a half years, we need to begin that process of lowering our debt. And that will really enable us to have more money to use for ministry as we lower our debt. Second reason is in our children and youth building right next door, gosh, we have 200 children coming there every Sunday, 150 youth in a space that's really not been upfitted to handle that kind of crowd. And so we'd like to create more flexible space for both the children and youth ministries for, during this capital campaign so that we can prepare for future growth. And then the third reason we're doing this capital campaign is why I'm sitting right here. As I sit in here, I'm sitting in Westwood High School where we're going to open up a new campus for Village Church. You see, we believe God has called us to come into a new area in order to expand the ministry, not just of the church, but to expand the ministry of Jesus. And we have an opportunity to expand into this area and help reach more people with the message of Jesus. Now, I'm excited about all these things, but with that excitement, there's a real challenge. And that challenge is we have to give. And so as we go through this capital campaign, my challenge for you is just simply to pray and say, God, what would you have me do? God, what would you have me give? What would you have me sacrifice? What would you have me do to be a part of this mission that you have for Village Church? Because I believe this mission is the greatest, most important mission we've had since we did our very first capital campaign. Because this is a mission that's going to set us up for years to come concerning what we do as a church. I hope you'll join with me as we go through this campaign together.